All right, so at least within the scientific literature, we know in popular culture, sex and gender are, are usually intertwined. They're, they're used uh, synonymously. But when we're talking about this in the field of science, when we're talking about sex, we're talking about biological designation. Um, and there's male, female, and there's also something called intersex. And, and this is base, based on the uh, external uh, features of an infant when they're born. So if you're born with a penis, you're considered a male. If you're born with a, a vagina, you're considered a female. If you're born with both, both male and female genitalia, this is what we call intersex. Um, and so this is the biological designation of an individual. When we talk about gender in science, we're talking about man or woman, and we have to include, a, and I think it's important, transgender uh, as well, uh, especially, especially with our growing knowledge and information in this area. So gender is the cultural um, concept of what it, what it means to be male or female. Now for this discussion, we are gonna do it kind of binarily. So we have male on one side, uh, which is man uh, designated in culture, female on the other side, woman designated in culture. And, and you could think of man, woman, man masculinity, woman femininity, and we'll look at, at the, 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 the differences. Now, it's interesting because um, the word gender uh, actually has a unique origin. It was actually, we've only used the word gender as a designation for man or woman for, oh, well, it's, it's going on about uh, 70 plus years. Um, before the 1950s, the term gender actually meant uh, it was a medical term, meaning uh, that the, the infant could not be identified as man or woman. It was, a, it was an unidentified um, uh, person. But starting in the 1950s and into the 1960s, uh, sociology started using the term gender as the cultural uh, determinant of what it means to be male and what it means to be female. And then hence we use the term man or woman. So the, the idea of a psychological construct of what it means to be male or female really started in about the 1950s and those two were separated. And we'll see why as we move on. And so, um, so with this in mind, the, the, this differentiation, in mind, what does science say about gender? Um, you know, I see on a lot of social media and whatnot, they argue that there's two genders. Um, uh, then there's the argument that there's multiple genders um, and both use science to say which is true and which is fact. Um, I think that in all in all, it's all, all about cherry picking which uh, research you're looking at. But let, let's look at what science says about gender and sexuality um, uh, all together. So when we talk about sex, which is the biological anatomy, 
we get what's called a bimodal distribution, okay? So with males on one end who have external genitalia, so I'm gonna, okay? So, so this, is, this is individuals who are born with external genitalia, whoops. And females, these are individuals who are born with internal genitalia, genitalia. Now I should say, and, and, and uh, uh, um, this is kind of just one of those interesting facts is that we are all conceived female and we're all developed female for, for about the first six weeks of development in mom's womb. It's not until uh, if you have the right chromosome, the, the male chromosome, that around six weeks of development you, the, the, the fetus gets a rush of uh, uh, hormones, which converts the developing internal genitalia, so the uh, vaginal shaft and the ovaries, then convert into and go to the external body, which is going to turn into then the testicles and the penis. So we're all actually conceived female, but if we have the male chromosome around six weeks or so, in development is when that internal genitalia then develops into external genitalia. Now, for reproductive purposes, this makes sense that a large number of our population are, are purely male with external genitalia and purely female with internal genitalia uh, because that increases the reproduction of the species from a biological aspect, I should say. Okay, but there is where we get this downward curve. You can see this overlap where there is a subset of the population that is called intersex. And these are individuals who are born with both internal and external genitalia. Um, and so there, there is a sub part of the population that is born with this. I think uh, some of the unfortunate parts of medical history and whatnot is uh, even today in a lot of states, uh, if a child is born intersex, it is up to the doctor, the physician in most states to decide whether or not to operate, whether or not to operate to make the child either female or male. In some states, it is the parent's decision uh, what science has shown is that it really should be the, the infant's decision when they get to be around the age of four or five. We found that that creates the most healthy individual um, and creates less confusion for the child. Or, in, in, and in a lot of cases, if they choose to continue with both types of genitalia. So uh, one of the interesting things about uh, being born intersex is sometimes you don't even get to the choice is still not even yours, even with when you're born with both uh, an, an anatomical um, entities. So this is the biological, and we can see there's a continuum, and it is it is very bimodal for for reproductive reasons for sure. So we have our sex, which is our anatomy, but on the other level, and this is male, female. And if we look at it from a cultural perspective uh, and we start to get into the psychology of being male or female, we see these lines that most 
a lot of females go to the uh, identify as a woman and most uh, males identify as a man. However, we also know that there's a continuum uh, for this uh, in that um, uh, this is what we identify as. It's not necessarily our expression, which we will get to next. And this is how you feel about your sex. And we have to understand that this is a, a continuum as well. And between being feeling totally man or totally woman, there's a whole different array of ways people identify with their gender. Uh, three examples include uh, transgendered individuals. This is a person who maybe was born with male. Uh, as a male with the external genitalia, but uh, expresses more woman, uh, female qualities. And so uh, they identify more as uh, a woman than they do a man. Uh, gender queer, uh, the term queer is one that has been taken over. It had negative connotations, especially through the late 70s and into the 80s and early 90s. And the LGBT community has spent the last couple of decades trying to bring that back into individuals who identify uh, both as man or woman, male or female, uh, and, and, and female, meaning that they, they don't identify predominantly with one or the other. Uh, they feel that they, they are a mixture of both. Um, and they don't necessarily always identify as a, as a man if they're born with external genitalia. Uh, if you think about individuals who do drag uh, queens uh, and whatnot, that's, that's an example of gender queer. Two-spirited is uh, a term that many Native American tribes uh, have renewed and have taken on. Uh, Two-spirited is uh, a, a individual who is either born male or female, but has both male and female qualities. It's almost the equivalent as the Western term of transgender. And in a lot of Native American tribes, traditionally, until the tribes were Westernized with our biases and our beliefs, two-spirited usually had unique uh, positions within the tribal hierarchy in that they were, in, in some tribes, they were actually given their own living quarters and their own special place because they were seen to have uh, unique qualities. They, they, they had both the qualities of man and the qualities of woman, which placed them in a very special place within the tribe. And so, and again, this is a, a, a term that is trying to, that I think pretty successfully is being reintroduced into a lot of Native American tribes through uh, uh, Native American LGBT groups and uh, reintroducing the idea that these individuals were, shouldn't be seen as, as, as uh, dysfunctional, but should be seen as individuals that hold qualities that just being a man or just being a woman don't have. So that's gender identity. Now, we also have, though, gender expression. And this is how you present those feelings to the world. 
And the reason why this is important, and again, so we have male, man, man, masculine, when we do the binary. So we have female, woman, woman, feminine. Masculine qualities uh, include uh, 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 dominance. Uh, femininity is usually associated with, with passiveness. Um, masculinity is usually associated with uh, competition. Femininity is usually um, uh, associated with cooperation. Okay. Um, and then again, in the middle, there's, there's people who are androgynous. Uh, these are individuals who, um, who, who uh, if, if you're looking at them in their expression, sometimes you can't tell if you should say, hello, sir, or hello, ma'am. Um, which we shouldn't be doing anyways, but um, uh, that's androgyny is, is, um, is, is not expressing either masculine or feminine qualities. Now, the reason why gender expression is important is because we all fall on this continuum dependent upon the situation, okay? So there are times when, when, when a very masculine person can express very feminine qualities. For example, when a father is caretaking for their children, uh, a lot of times more feminine caretaking qualities come out. Where on the same end, a mother who is taking on some type of uh, uh, task that is traditionally designated to men like uh, mowing the lawn or or doing uh, uh, competition, they may act more masculine. And so our gender expression, well, well our gender identity we, we, we identify with, we have to understand that our expression is always teetering between masculinity and femininity, okay? It's not a set thing. It really is dependent upon the situation. I always like that, um, uh, the, those Facebook posts, the memes that say, um, uh, whenever a four-year-old hands you a toy phone, um, you're never not man enough to answer it and say hello. <laughs> and so that's kind of an example of expression is, is that we always uh, are, are teetering between these two, okay? So, then from, from our gender or gender, we then get down to our sexual orientation. And again, in, in, in reproductive reasons and for and cultural reasons, uh, most uh, many males uh, uh, have a sexual orientation towards women. Uh, females have a sexual orientation towards men. And again, in between, uh, we have a, a lot of variation. Um, and I, I have to say that when we talk about uh, sexual orientation, we're not only talking about sex, we're also talking about emotional attraction, okay? And I think that's important as we continue these conversations about relationships is that this truly uh, across the lifespan fluctuates for many people. Um, there are times that a, a man who is attracted for a, to, towards a woman 
is going to look at another man and go and have some type of feeling or emotion or curiosity. For men, this happens, if we, even if we look at it across a lifespan on average, this usually happens for men around the age of 35 to about 40, 45. And then again, from the age of about 55 to 65. And then for women, this, this curiosity of the other sex that they're attracted to occurs usually in the 20s and then reappears in the 50s and 60s as well. Does that mean that they'll have uh, actual sexual acts with that uh, other attraction? No, ne not necessarily, but they will have feelings and emotions and even arousal to the thought. And so this sexual orientation from a, at least a scientific perspective is not fixed. It fluctuates throughout our lifespan. And then we also have to recognize that there are individuals who go in the middle. We, do, we, we, we know about male-male uh, uh, relationships, female-female relationships as, as same-sex relationships, but there also is different orientations uh, in between. For example, bisexual and pansexual. Uh, bisexual is individuals who uh, have a sexual and or emotional attraction to either sex. And when I say this, I, I really mean either man or female, <laughs> male or female. That's the term bisexual. And then we have individuals who are pansexual. If you think about pan, it literally means a pan, a huge circle. Uh, pansexuals uh, have a sexual and or emotional attraction to pretty much anyone, despite who they are, they could be androgynous, they can be transsexual, uh, male, female, um, they really have a sexual and emotional attraction to uh, uh, everyone. In the latest research, it, uh, it suggests that pansexuals are more attracted to personality qualities than physical qualities. Anyways, that's what some recent research shows. And so we see that sexual orientation one, it will fluctuate for everyone to some degree, so it is not fixed. And two, there is a, a variety of types of attractions. Okay. And then we also have sexual behaviors. Um, again, when we look at the, the, the binary, you know, male, man, usually, uh, uh, will have sexual behaviors with women. Female women usually will say they have sexual behaviors towards um, men. But again, we see some variation on this. I had a, a, a colleague who was doing uh, research looking at um, Craigslist ads when they used to have the ads for, for personal ads. And uh, the research was done on the male-to-male -male, uh, 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 personal ads, men seeking men, I think is what it was called. And in that research, they, they would you know, connect with uh, the, the individuals who did the ad, they would verify that they were real, and then they would you know, elicit a bunch of measures. And the interesting thing uh, that was, came out of that research is that 
the majority of uh, men who were seeking other male relationships, in fact, I think it was 70, it was 70 plus percent. I apologize, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was above 70% of the individuals posting those ads identified as straight and attracted to women, uh, but they were seeking sexual behaviors with other men. And then when we look at research done on women, uh, again, giving a measure of, uh, for women, they gave a measure of um, uh, what their sexuality was. And so uh, when we look at women who um, uh, uh, are, are, are sexually oriented towards men, um, and then what they did in this research is they showed pictures of other women. Um, and then, of course, men as a control. And then they measured the physiological arousal of women. And what they found, and again, I apologize about the percentage, it was above 70% of women who uh, said that they were what we call cisgender. Cisgender is a designated term for a, 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 a male-female relationship where the male and female both believe that that should be the only sexual orientation, that's cisgender. Um, we found that physiologically, 70% plus of those women who were cisgender uh, had physiological sexual arousals to the pictures of women, of other women. And other research um, using, uh, it, we didn't find the same thing for, it, 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 <laughs> trying to get my words right. It was interesting because we didn't find the same result when we showed women who identified as lesbian, uh, when we showed them picture of men, we didn't find that same arousal rate uh, that we found with cisgender women when they were shown pictures of, of females. And we also know when it comes to sexual behavior that when you inhibit the selection of individuals that a person can engage in sexual behaviors, uh, we will engage in sexual behaviors against what we feel our sexual orientation is. And I think an example of this is the stereotype of prison behavior. So you hear of men who go to prison where their only uh, 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 sexual selection is other men. And if given enough, enough time, uh, even if they have a strong cisgender male attitude, they will engage in sexual activity with other men. So we also know sexual behavior is determined by the context and the um, uh, situation that a person is put into. And when an individual does not have access to their preferred sexual orientation, they will engage in sexual behaviors with what is available. And, and so that is, uh, uh, so when we talk about physical behaviors, there are also individuals, you know, when we talk about bisexuals and sexual orientations, we know that there's individuals who will engage in sexual behaviors willingly or, 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 or purposely with more than just one gender. So, all right. 
I want to stop here for just a minute and ask if anyone has any questions about the conceptualization of sex, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, or sexual behavior. Is there any questions? And you can put your question in the chat, um, or you can just uh, unmute yourself and um, uh, let me know. You are all very quiet today, which is okay. It's Thursday, second week of classes. I'm feeling the same way, so that's okay. And, but you're, you're, you're all probably, um, from our conversation on Tuesday, I don't think this is anything new for many of you. So if we look at another conceptualization of this, um, we can put this in what's called a, 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 a diagram, a, a Venn diagram, where one circle is our sexual orientation, which is who we're attracted to. Gender identity, this is how you identify. Gender expression, this is how you express your gender. And sex assigned at birth, um, uh, this is your biological assignment. And in the middle is you. And then, of course, there's all these terms that, that could be I put into each of these. What I would like you to do is look at these terms, and if there's any terms that uh, uh, you're, you're curious about or you're unaware of, uh, please put it in the chat. There's a few that I want to go over, um, but take a look at these terms, and if you're not sure which, what, what the term means, put it in the chat, and we'll make sure we, we go over it. Like I said, there are a few that I want to but I wanna make sure I, we have a definitions for you for the ones that you're not aware of. So take a look at them. I'll give you about a minute or so to um, uh, uh, look and then we'll, we'll move on. And I'll, I'll go over the ones I want to go over at least. Um, gender queer is the only one I'm unfamiliar with. Circle that one. Thank you. Okay. As I said, I think the script is is uh, has a lot more knowledge than than, than uh, uh, a lot of other classes that I've taught. So just from our conversation on Tuesday, but there are a few terms I want to make sure I focus on. One is asexual. Um, the other is fluid. 
and then uh, gender queer we'll get to. Um, and I do want to emphasize because we're studying this, I want to emphasize the word cisgender um, uh, so that we're aware of those. So let's start with gender queer. So gender queer is, uh, uh, a, I, th I think the, the, the best example of a gender queer person is uh, a man who, who uh, uh, does drag or drag queen. This is where a, a male during the week usually uh, dresses as a male, uh, has more femininity than most males, but identifies as a male. But then when they have the opportunity, they then will quote unquote cross dress um, and, and um, identify really well with that female side of them. Uh, we, but we also see this with, with uh, women as well. Um, on less of a, a show way, uh, uh, there, there are women who during the day uh, will act um, uh, very female, uh, even though they will have very masculine qualities usually. But then, for example, when they get home or when they're around friends, they, 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 they behave more and dress more masculinely. And they, they're proud of it. And, that, and that's the, 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 the thing about gender queer and why we don't say the term like cross-dressing or drag or anything is they don't hide that uh, what their other gender uh, identity is. They, they, they really express it um, and, 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 and embrace it. So that's gender queer. Um, the term cisgender and why I wanted to bring it up is because it's really important to the study of gender identity. Uh, cisgender is a term that was developed in about the last 15 years uh, because most of the research on gender identity has been a comparison between straight people, quote unquote, um, where, where you have the binary man and woman and these other types of identities such as transgender and, 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 and those types of different uh, identities. But little research was ever done on what it means to have a gender identity of a man being attracted to a female and a female attracted to a man. And that being a belief that that should be the only identity and uh, attraction uh, um, uh, uh, approach. So the term cisgender allows us to look at the psychological and social um, uh, variables that uh, develop a person's identity as male, female being the only type of uh, attraction and sexual orientation. And so there's been a lot more studies that have been done instead of comparing, for example, uh, gay and lesbian to quote unquote straight people, we're actually becoming to understand why uh, uh, straight people quote unquote um, uh, psychologically have the belief and the emotions and the psychological uh, idea that the only orientation should be male to female. So I just wanted to bring that up because it really has highlighted and has improved the research that's been done on gender identity instead of it being a purely uh, comparative one. 
fluid I want to uh, uh, talk to because I mentioned pansexual, which is a person who um, is oriented not towards necessarily a biological or necessarily mixed type gender orientation, but someone who is more likely to be attracted to things like personality or personality traits, which what recent research suggests. Fluid sexual orientation is truly usually, not always, usually even when you're pansexual or, or that, you usually begin and end a sexual act with that same person or that same uh, person's orientation. Someone who is fluid, um, for example, can start uh, their, their sexual act with a male and then continue with a female and then fluidly flow into maybe someone who's transgender. And so their, sex, their, their, their sexuality and their uh, act of sex is very fluid. And so I just wanted to bring up the difference between pansexual and fluid. Asexual, I want to bring up because um, um, I've worked with uh, quite a few individuals who are asexual when I, when I ran a behavioral health center out of another college. Asexual is when somebody has no real sexual attraction to anyone. Now, we all will go through periods of asexuality where we just have, we, we just lose that attraction for, for who, who we're with, sexual attraction. Um, and, and a lot of it is, you know, hormonally and biologically based uh, for, for the majority of us. But there is a group of people who have no sexual attraction to anyone uh, throughout their lifespan. Um, and these individuals, and I'm going to say this, uh, have a really hard time in many cultures, especially our Western culture, because, um, uh, you know, for example, in the office I worked in, I always had students coming in who were deeply, deeply depressed, some of them on the verge of suicide because their parents want to know why they are not dating and why they don't have a girlfriend or boyfriend. If they do have a boyfriend or girlfriend, the boyfriend or girlfriend are questioning, you know, why they're not sexually attracted to them. They have friends, especially in college, in dormitory situations who are pressuring, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have sex with so-and-so? Why don't you have why aren't you having sex? Why aren't you in a relationship? Why aren't you looking to get married? Why aren't you? And these individuals have all of these social and cultural pressures on them. When in reality, there's nothing wrong with them. They are who they are. And um, I'm going to say this, and, and, and it's very important, uh, because I've worked with too many suicidal people who are just asexual, meaning they just are not attracted sexually or sometimes even emotionally to other people. If you have someone in your life um, who just isn't into relationships, isn't into finding sexual partners, I'm going to ask you to leave them the hell alone. 
Um, there's nothing wrong with them. The research that has been done, there's no hormonal differences. There's no brain structure differences. It's just the fact that they don't have that type of orientation or that kind of attraction. And I would encourage you, uh, if, if you know individuals like this, to be their ally. And when you see people constantly questioning about them, why they don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or why they don't engage in sexual behaviors, to advocate for them. Um, because again, I've seen too many individuals who are in this situation who have been on the verge of suicide. I've had a few who have actually committed suicide, um, but many of them also are just deeply depressed and confused. Um, and so I'm asking everybody in this class uh, to please be an ally for individuals like this and um, be supportive and understanding. So, I'm, okay, I'll get off my soapbox on that situation um, and, and we'll move on, okay? Um, all right, so this is gender, sexual orientation, sexual um, uh, assignment uh, and, and identity. So let's move on. Let's see what we're gonna move on to. Um, so why is it important to understand gender from a psychological perspective? And I'll just kind of read this. Gender identity tends to be a very strong social identity uh, across culture. And this means that it can always build a person or destroy a person based on the context and the individuals around him or her. Um, we find that, for example, transgender people, um, when they're supported in early childhood, when they're, they, they, they're given the opportunity to just be who they are, and even when we even look at the uh, gay and lesbian literature on early childhood, uh, we find that those individuals have much more successful lives, has have reduced uh, incidences of depression and anxiety. They have uh, less uh, issues with, with being able to integrate themselves into society. Um, and so we know that when we provide that psychological support, when we accept people for who they are, they are much more successful and that makes for a much more successful uh, community and therefore society. Um, and I know that sometimes this can be hard, but I think our, our culture is getting better and better at doing this. And the other thing that we have to start doing uh, when it comes to gender and gender identity is realizing that there is no gender identity. This is not a hierarchy. And that no matter who, what gender we are, we're all on the same playing field and we all play a, an important role in the development, again, of our families, um, uh, uh, of our, our communities and of our culture. So this is what we've learned uh, from psychological research. Um, and, and we know that um, uh, it can be difficult for some people, okay? All right, let's start talking about uh, relationships and sexuality. Um, I mentioned, I think it was last week, that the brain has two separate processes that deal with intimacy and sexuality. 
the intimacy network uh, seeks someone who they we can have a long-term partnership with and companionship with. And the sexual network drives us to reproduce and satisfy sexual needs. Both can be de defined as a form of intimacy. Human sexuality is more than reproduction and intimate love is more than just a relationship. So with this in mind, I do want to play a, uh, a YouTube video. Does anybody have any questions before, as I look up uh, um, this video really quick so far? Hold on just a second, I'll be right back. I lost this page when I logged in. Okay, here it is. All right, so I am going to play this uh, this video on on uh, attraction. So hold on, I do got to uh, pause. I just realized I was muted for the last minute or so. I apologize. <laughs> okay, so I'll say this again. Uh, uh, this video was a good introduction into uh, kind of what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. We're going to get into much more detail about um, what uh, Dr. Fisher was talking about and, and a lot more details about why, why we fall in love, why we seek out intimate relationships why they can bring so much joy, but at the same time, so much pain. There's biological, there's social, and there's cultural reasons behind that. And we'll talk about all of those over the next couple of weeks as we become to understand why it is individuals develop relationships with each other and then develop families together. And so that's where we're headed in the class over the next couple of weeks. Does anybody have any questions uh, about today's content or where we're headed in the class? Um, okay, thank you, Sophia and Yasmin. Um, okay. 
If there's no questions, we'll go ahead and end for today. And again, I wish you all a happy weekend um, um, and uh, happy Labor Day. You too. Thank you, Agatha. Yes, so this week's reflection will be on mainly the content that we talked about Tuesday and, and today. So, and I'll post this lecture and the video if you need to go over it more. So, yes, yeah, so for this weekly reflection, give a good reflection on what you learned through this week so I kind of know where we need to head and, and what, what, where we're, and that everybody has what they have. Good question, Agatha, and thank you for that. All right. Thank you, and have a good weekend. You as well. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you.